Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. Yesterday, uh, I decided that I was going to go ahead and play him in a game of basketball. Because it's, it's got, you know, it was warm yesterday, and it hasn't been all that warm lately. And so I said, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and I'm going to show this boy that I'm still the man. And, uh, but I went out there and I went out in my sandals. And so here I am just in my, uh, in, in my, my, my sandals. They're more like sliders. But I'm in my, my sliders and he's got his gear on and he's been playing already. And so I go out and uh, make no mistake. He still hasn't beat me. But while we're playing, uh, I, I just decided, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead. And he's talking some smack. And so he just tells me, that, like, I'm going to miss the shot. And so I said, oh, yeah. And so I pulled up, and uh, I took the shot. And, of course, the shot went in. And otherwise, I wouldn't tell the story. But I landed on the corner, the side of our pad that we have where the basketball court is. And I landed on the side and I rolled my ankle. And I, I rolled my ankle and I yelped. And Caleb looks over at me and he's like, Dad, you all right? And I'm over there whimpering, and I'm holding on to my ankle, and I'm like, this could be broken, and I'm thinking about all the worst things possible. I'm like, my career is over. I'll, I'll never get drafted now. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm laying there, and I'm massaging it out, and I'm like, Caleb, it's, it's, it's good. I'm, I think I'm going to be okay. And uh, so I just waited because, listen, as you, as you get older, you guys might not realize this, but stuff starts tightening up, and you just got to be more ginger. So I, 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 was, I was making sure everything's good, and I massaged myself out, and eventually I got up. And that's where you should actually applaud. You're like, wow, you got up. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> so I, I got up and, uh, and, and went back and, and uh, like the smart person I am, I went ahead and played another game with him. But it was in that moment I was, I was uh, thinking to myself in light of today's message that many of us, we have a similar moment in our lives where we've fallen, we've hurt ourselves, we are spending time uh, properly repairing and fixing and trying to make sure we're okay. But then there's a time in your life, there's a time in all of our lives when we have to get back up and you got to get back in the game. And we've been talking the last several weeks in this spring cleaning series a lot of it has been talk about, hey, you know, we got to repent and we got to clean out the, the, the garbage and we've got to acknowledge our wrongs and we've got to make things right with people. And, and, and so it's been cleansing that we've been talking about. And I thought it would be great and encouraging to you and to me if we would spend our last day in this particular series talking about what to do after the cleansing, what to do after You've fallen, and you've repented, and you're working through making things better. And what you have to do after is you've got to get back 
up. And the reality is, is that many of us find ourselves uh, in a bout with doubt. We, we, we doubt if we're good enough. We doubt if we should be the one communicating the message. We doubt if whether or not we're just ruined forever and we're no good, we're damaged now. We doubt. And here's the crazy thing is that in our bout with doubt about whether or not God can still do the great things, whether or not God can still use us, whether or not God uh, would care enough to use a broken vessel like me or you, in that moment, think about what you're telling yourself. You're telling yourself, before I acknowledged my sin, before I had realized that I was sinful in that way, I was more prepared or more worthy of espousing a message of the truths of the gospel than after I had realized the true condition that I was in. Somehow we convince ourselves that before I acknowledged my brokenness, I was more worthy of carrying out the the truth of the gospel. I was more worthy while I was in my sin. And then I went through a humbling process. I went through a cleansing process. I went through a process where I realized I wasn't all that. And now, man, I'm just damaged. No, 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 my friend. You were damaged before. You you were in your sin. You were broken before. You were hurting others. You were hurting yourself. You were denying God's grace in your life before. Now's not the time to, to run away. Now's not the time to come off the field. No, before, when all that was going down and you had a public image that looked like you were okay and you didn't repent to anybody and you didn't tell anybody that you were flawed and broken, that was the place where you were false. That was the place where you were most broken. That was the place where you were inadequate when pride was telling you that you could do it in your own strength. But now, my friends, that you're on the other side and you've had some cleansing and you've had some renewal and you've acknowledged that you're broken and you're not perfect, now's the time when God could use you. But you know, the the enemy is, is an incredible liar to us in so many ways. Because what happens is people believe that they're actually better off. They're better off before they've had a cleansing, a spring cleaning. And so as a result, what they do is they say, you know what, now that I've confessed, now that I've admitted my brokenness, now that I've admitted my shame, now that I've admitted this, this, this piece of me that is not holy and righteous, now that I've talked about it, now I'm broken. What a lie. What a, what a tragic lie. There's so many people sitting on the sidelines feeling inadequate, and you have no idea but in, in, in God's economy, in the world's economy, the longer you can fake it, the more you can make it. But, but in God's economy, in God's economy, he's waiting until you see the world the way he sees it. He's waiting until you see yourself the way he does. He's waiting until you understand your place as his child. And we can't do that so long as we believe, well, my work got me here. My strength got me here. My brain got me here. I am so slick. And it takes the spring cleaning in our lives before God can rightfully and fully use us. This is why it's funny when I talk to people, when people come, sometimes they're initially surprised when they share their 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 confession, their brokenness, their hurts. They're just like, I don't know what to do. This is what I've done with my life, pastor. And, and, you know, I'm ashamed to tell you this. People often are surprised that I'm, I'm not like 
moved in the sense of, oh my gosh, really? Oh, terrible. Oh, why? Because I look at it from the other's perspective. I look at it from the perspective of a pastor that says, you know what? This is good. It's not good that you're in what you're in. It's not good that you did what you did. It's not good that you've been who you've been. But it is so good for you to have spring cleaning. It is so good for you to have this wrenching out of your sinful, prideful self. That is a good place. A sponge is unable to soak up new water until it gets rid of the old. And if you and I are to soak up the glory of God, if you and I are to soak up his calling, if you and I are to soak up the truth of the gospel in our lives, if you and I are really to understand Jesus, we have to have this ringing out where we say, wow, that was dirty water that was not helpful to me. That was actually polluting my soul and not making me a better human. That, that was actually causing me to be more selfish and more prideful and more self-centered rather than what Jesus has called me to, which is to love God with all my heart. And he said, the second commandment is just like it, love my neighbor as myself. So what does that mean? Care for God, care for people. Get the attention off of my pride. And so when that ringing out process happens and somebody comes and says, Pastor, this is what I've been going through. It's the same as when I was laying down in my yard, massaging my ankle, saying, in this moment, I can't move. I'm hurt. I I hurt myself. I injured myself. And and so here I am. I can't move. But what are we going to do? Stay in the yard? Are you going to massage your broken place for the rest of your life? Are you going to be identified as the person that's sitting there having not achieved what you hope to achieve? Are you going to be sitting there for the rest of your life just saying, well, this is as far as God's going to take me now. I'll wait till I die. No. At some point, you get back up. And you don't get back up out of pride. And you don't get back up saying, hey, I'm all better. I cleaned myself off. You know, I spit on my knee and rubbed it. No, no, no. You get back up saying, I realize now where I was, and I realize now where God's called me to be, and so I'm getting back up, and in the future, I'm going to build my strength in his way. I'm going to build my strength in his strength, and so today, I could pick a thousand characters out of the Bible to illustrate this point, but I would, I want to go to one that I think illustrates it poignantly, one that we've talked about before, and I've talked about in broad strokes in terms of the big picture of his life. But in the the calling moment, in the moment when God gets a hold of him, in the moment when when the Lord reaches out and says, hey, come here, get back up, it's in that moment that we see all these truths kind of unfurl themselves before us. And so in Judges chapter 6 is where we'll be today. I want to introduce you again to Gideon. Many of you know uh, Gideon as uh, this this character that uh, we're going to find him in a wine press, and he's afraid of an oncoming army that's occupying his land, and he's this little, uh, this little, little chicken, just, just, just afraid of everybody around him, and he's the run of the pack, and he's, he views himself so low, and uh, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, hey, God's got a plan for you. You need to get out of that, that way of thinking. You need to get out of that, that mindset. And so I want to encourage you today to look at your own life and just say, man, are there any ways that I relate to Gideon? 
Are there any ways of, of thinking that I'm, I'm operating under? Are there any ways that I'm just kind of fearful and hiding from what's out there? Or are there any ways where I just don't think it's going to matter a whole lot? Maybe it's spiritually, or maybe it's in your relational life. Maybe it's in your family and, and, and your social life. Maybe it's in your, your, your business or job and finances, whatever it might be. But you just say, you know, I kind of hit a wall here. I don't know that it's going to get a whole lot better. That's kind of where Gideon found himself and where the angel found Gideon. So it says this in Judges 6, starting in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the what? In the wine press. Because that's where you beat out wheat if you're a chicken, if you're scared to fight, if you don't want the bully to come steal your lunch money. That's where you beat out the wheat. So he found himself in this giant cylinder of a wine press, and he's beating out the wheat, hiding from the enemy. And this is who God's going to use, is this one that has fallen down and his mindset is all beat up. He was beating out the wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. I've preached this point before. Don't want to belabor it. But man, it's so good. Some of you, you might just want to write down in the, in the, the side of your notes. How does, how does God view me? How does God view me? We see in a minute how Gideon viewed himself, how Gideon viewed his family, how Gideon viewed his situation. And that's fine. But what was more important was how God viewed Gideon. And in your life, it's the same way. You might sit back and give me a narrative about your life and say, well, I was born here. I went there. Here's what I did. Here's some sin. Here's some screw-ups. Here's what I did Friday night and blah, blah, blah. And, and you say, this is who I am. And I'll say, you know, I don't accept that. How does God view you? And so the, the angel of the Lord said, the Lord is with you. What do you call him? Almighty man of valor. Is that what you ascribe to somebody who is scared uh, to get their lunch money stolen and they're hiding their weed in the wine press? Mighty man of valor. But that's exactly the way that God looked at Gideon. And some of us need to go to the Lord and just say, Lord, I need to learn what you say of me. I need to learn what you call me. I need to learn the names that you have for me. I need to learn who it is you designed me to be. Remember, he's the designer. You're the design. He's the creator. You're the created. You go to him and say, God, why did you create me this way? What is it about me that I could use for your glory? What is it about me that if I enhance it to the full, if I stay away from the bad and I run towards the good, what is it about me that you're going to do? And so he looked at Gideon and called him a mighty man of valor, even when he was really chicken little. I want to know in your life, are you taking seriously the power of your words? Are you looking at people in your life and are you nothing more than a, a, a descriptive mechanism? Just telling them what you're observing? Or are you speaking life in the people and say, you know what? No, no, no. I see this in you. You have this talent. You have this skill set. And if you would let the Lord use it, he'll magnify and multiply that sucker. And you will be in so much better shape than where you are. You're a mighty man of valor. Don't you see it? All of us are God's design in process. You're just in process. 
But how am I using my words? How are you using your words? Are we using them to, to speak life over people in situations or, or death? Are we repeating the obvious or are we repeating God's optics? What are we doing when it comes to our words? And so mighty man of valor is how the angel approached him. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, I love this line. I hear it a little bit, hood. Please, 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 my Lord. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted us saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midian. Do I not send you? We're talking about getting back up. We're talking about rising when we don't feel like we can rise. We're talking about being worthy when we don't feel worthy. And the angel came and said, listen, I'm going to speak God's truth over you and who you are, who you are really, because he's the designer, you're the design. You zip it with this stuff that says you're less than because you're made by an amazing designer and God doesn't make junk. And so the angel of the Lord looks at Gideon and says, no, Gideon, you're not just some chicken little hiding in a wine press beating wheat. That's your current situation. That's your current view of self, but that is not the proper view of self. That's not who you really are. You and I have to get back to true self. And true self is the self that God designed you to be, that is unhindered and unbroken and unashamed and unfazed by the ways of this world, the sin that we all live in and surrounded by. The true self is the one that God designed. And so even though you may say, hey, I fell. Hey, I need spring cleaning. Hey, I've got junk in my life that has to come out. You might look and just say, I'm an unworthy participant on this planet. And God looks and says, no, no, no. You're the only one I made like you. And you have a role to play. You have a piece to play in this whole narrative that I've built. And you have a voice to give to this cause. But first you have to see it. But many of us were just like Gideon. Look what he said. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why? You ever have these moments where you ask God, why? Why do I have this? Why is my finances this way? Why do they treat me like that? Why didn't they not let me sit? You've been doing this since elementary, middle school, haven't you? Why don't they invite me to the right table? Why don't they like my clothes? Why? And we go to God and we always say, God, you must not be doing something because why? Here's all the evidence. And you and I, listen to me, you and I do the work of the enemy for him. Because what we do is instead of saying, God, I take you at your word. I take you at your promises. I believe what I cannot see. No, we say, no, here's all the evidence against God's grace over me. Here's all the evidence against God's love over me. Worry, I heard the other day, I thought it was great. Worry is, is believing in something you cannot see. And so is faith. 
Worry is believing. So I can't, I, I'm, I'm just worried about something. It might happen. It could go wrong. They, they could get in a, an accident. I could die young. I could, the sickness could get me. And worry is just an investment in something that we cannot see. And so you and I, we can sit in that and we can just say, oh Lord, if I'm really every, everything you called me to be, then why is this situation the way it is? I'm worried that you're not truthful, Lord. Or we can say the opposite. Lord, I know the situation is the way it is. But I'm replacing that worry with faith. And I'm going to believe your word over my worry. I'm going to believe your word over the stress. I'm going to believe your word over the present circumstance. I'm going to believe that you're the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You're the God of, of, of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're, you're the one that has been there before, and you'll be there at the end. You gave me life. You'll fulfill this life. You'll give me new life. I'm going to believe that's who you are. Or we like Gideon just say, why me? Why us? Why is this the circumstance? Then he goes on, he says, what wonderful deeds our fathers have recounted us, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. That's a big phrase from a little dude in a wine press. <laughs> a declarative phrase, the Lord has forsaken you know when you and I make those kind of pronouncements over God in our lives? We've become the very type of God that we pray that God is not to us. You see, we don't want condemnation from God. But what are we telling God when we make declarative bold statements? God, you have forsaken me. You've abandoned me. We're condemning God. How, how do you have a relationship when a person has already condemned you? How, how, how do you build a bridge when the other person has said, you did this, it's over. And so here was Gideon. He's just like, God, you've forsaken me. What was Jesus' phrase for this? In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, specifically 20, what did he say about us going out and sharing the gospel? He said, go, and lo, I'll be with you always. I'll never forsake you. Never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never turn away from you. One of the things that happened uh, this week is, is I, I had to come down on, on my son a little bit about some, um, some schoolwork and stuff, and I was disappointed in the response, and so we had to have this conversation, and so it was a tense one and um, completely in bounds, but it was a tense one. I was just like, I'm, I'm, this has to change, but then what I did was a few hours later, I went and talked to him, and I said, you know what? I want you to know something. Because I was upset with you a few hours ago. But I want you to know something about me. No matter how upset you ever, ever, ever think that I get. I will never, ever turn my back on you. And I will never, ever, ever stop loving you. And I want you to know that. And I want you to have that security in me. Because I don't want you to ever believe that my love for you can change. It doesn't. My joy in the moment or the circumstance 
That'll go up and down based on circumstance. My love for you will never, ever shift. And so we were riding in the car yesterday, and he brought that up again. And he was like, Dad, it's good to know. It's good to know that you'll never stop loving me. And I said, son, I don't care what you do in this life. I will never, ever stop loving you. Now, I tell you that. It's private, it's personal, it's my life, my kid's life. But I tell you that because if I, as a human father, can a thousand percent stand on the rock of that statement, I'll never stop loving that kid. How in the world do you and I ever operate believing that the God of the universe who made you and designed you and knows you most intimately, when God says he will never stop loving you, why would you believe anything different? If Tolly can stand on that, certainly God can. But Gideon, he lost his way, and he's like, hey, you know, you, you've forsaken us. And the Lord turned him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. And why did he tell him that? Do I not send you? Church, it is time to clean out your doubt. It is time for you to clean out your doubts. Some of us are carrying around doubts, and the reason your relationship with God is not going anywhere is that you're still doubting God. And you've fallen down and you've broken and you've acknowledged your brokenness. You understand you're not perfect. Nobody in this room is. Nobody outside this room is. There's no one on the planet I will ever meet that I go, you're a perfect human. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. I mean, I come pretty close, but it was too easy. It was low-hanging fruit. Here's the thing. So for us, we're never going to meet perfect people. But we've got we've to stop this doubt with ourselves that when we're wounded, when we're hurt, when we're exposed, when we're, when we're at our worst, we've got to stop this stuff to just say, well, God somehow left me. God is abandoning me. That is not true at all. God has never left you. He has never forsaken you. And he will never, ever, ever stop loving you. And there's nothing that goes on. There's not an atom that moves on this planet that God is not aware of, that God does not have sovereignty over. Not one atom. And you and I, we've got to clear out our doubt. We've got to clean out our doubt and say, you know what? I just got to quit doubting God in my life. Verse 15, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Now, remember, he's missing the whole point. He said, go in the strength. Is it not I who send you? But then he turns around and says, how am I going to save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You know what the word behold means? It means, look here, God. Look, look here, God. Check this out, God. Maybe you don't have all the facts. And I'm going to do clap emojis on Twitter just so you understand. Like, look here, God. Look, and, and Gideon feels like he had to bring God's ear closer and re-describe his situation. How many of us do that? We do it. We're like, no, no, no. We hear a sermon. We hear, we read the word of God. We sing and lift our hands and praise. But we have this doubt that's just like, I don't know. My situation's different. God may not completely love me. God may not completely invest in me. God may not take me to the promised land of my life. God may not. Uh, look here, God. 
Gideon was saying, look here, God, my clan is the weakest and I'm the least. You're sitting here telling me that I'm going to go out and do this great thing. Do you know who I am? I've, I've come to grips lately, God. My forefathers told us that we, you had done some great things, and I believed it at one point, but man, I have fallen now. I have sprained my ankle. I have sinned publicly. I have admitted failure, and look at where I am. I'm not usable by you. I'm just going to accept it. I'm just going to try to get by, but I'm not going to have big faith anymore. Look here, God. The weakest, the least. Listen, in the most loving way I can tell you, for you to have a future in your future, you must get past your past. For you to have a future in your future, you must get past your past. Now, I'm not telling you my advice is to speed over recovery or speed over repentance or to refuse to apologize to people. No, no, no. You make right. You make restitution. You do what you have to do. You honor the Lord in how you treat people and how you pay back for wrongs. You do all of that. But I'm talking about once you've done what you can do to make the situation right, once you've repented, once you've talked to the Lord, once you've done what you've had to do to get back on the right track, you will not have a future in your future if you still operate as though you're in your past. And I cannot tell you how many people that I talk to are still living today in 2019 as the product or byproduct of something that happened to them or something that they did to someone else 15, 20 years ago or five years ago. And you've got to believe in your heart that God is the God of I am. He's not the God of I was for you. He's the God of I am, which means when you wake up in the morning, you are waking up to the God of I am. And for you to enjoy that preferred future that God has designed for you, you cannot lay in the yard holding your ankle and say, well, I'll never play again. I give you that foolish illustration at the beginning because I want you to understand that's exactly what we do when we stay stuck in our brokenness, in our sin, in our shame. And there comes a time when we've done all we can to get things right that we have to move forward in faith. Some of us are held back simply because we're doubting God and we're living in our past. Too many people try to play God It's exactly what we do when we seem to know the qualifications of the people who are called more than the one who does the calling. God is the one calling Gideon, and Gideon's trying to tell God all the reasons he can't be called. You were called to be a great husband. Here's all the reasons I can't be a great husband. I did this, and I did that, and I have this problem. No, you were called to be a great husband. You have no business telling God that you are not going to be a great husband. You were called to be a wonderful woman of God. Well, there's no way I can be seen as a wonderful woman of God. You have no idea about the shame in my past. You don't live there anymore. It's called the past for a reason, but you were called to something greater. 
You're called to be a great neighbor. You're called to be a great friend. You're called to be excellent in what you do. Whatever you put your hand at the plow to, you're called not to look back. The scripture says the kingdom of heaven is, for, is fit for those who put their hand to the plow and don't look back. But many of us, we look back early and often. God's not there. He was there. But his name is I Am. So guess where he is now? He's here. And guess where he will be? He'll be there. So why are you spending your time in regret? Spend your time developing that relationship here. Spend your time getting better going forward. The past is over. You got to leave it there. God is ready to use you for revival in your home, in your office, in your community, at your school. But you have to move on and quit living out your worst moments on repeat. I'm weird like this. I don't like to watch movies more than once. I've learned that I am a weird bird when it comes to pop culture. Apparently, there are entire groups of people who have memorized every word to every line in every movie of their favorite actor or actress. I hate watching movies twice. For me, it's like, I know how it ends. I'm good. I'm moving on. And so many of us, though, we love watching our worst movies, don't we? How many of us, we say, you know what? I watch my worst movie all the time, Pastor. I sit down, I grab some popcorn and a drink, and I prop my feet up, and I rewind in my own mind all my worst behaviors. And over time, when I think of myself, I go, oh, you're the guy in that movie. And then when you interact with others, you say, well, I'm, I'm just that guy in that movie. Stop watching the same movie. Now, I also need you to live a different movie. <laughs> but it's so weird that we sit and we fascinate about the worst parts of ourselves forever. And we have a God who is looking down and saying, you mighty man of valor. And you would rather listen to the voice in your own head that's telling you you're nothing but a weakling, chicken little, pressing wheat in a wine press. And you have the God of heaven who stands over you and says, you are a mighty man of valor. You are a mighty woman of God. You are beautiful. You're my daughter. You are made excellently. You have your own gifts and your own talents. And if you'll discover them in me, I will set you off to where you live a completely fulfilled and joyful life. Jesus called it an abundant life in John 10, verse 10. And he says, that's what I want for you. I want every fiber of your being engaged in the life that I've given you. 
I want your, your, your job. I want you to find joy in the work that you do, the work of your hands, the work of your life. I want you to find joy in your, your children if you have children and if you're husband or wife or your joy in being single if you're single. I want you to live a fulfilled and abundant existence in your life. I don't want you to live with worry and regret and living in your past and replaying the old movies of yourself and talking down yourself. Don't you do that. You're talking down to my son. You're talking down to my daughter, and you should not talk to my children that way. A mighty man of valor. God is ready to use you. But it's time for you to get past your past. And he goes on, he concludes with this, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. He said it again. He said, do I not send you? Am I not the one calling you to greatness? Am I not the one calling you to step out and to be a leader in your field? Am I not the one calling you to be a great husband, to be a great wife, to be a great friend, to be a great partner in a business? Am I not the one calling you? Don't put your faith in yourself. You put your faith in the one who has called you. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the hand of Midianites as one man. And he said to him, I now have found favor in your eyes. Now show me a sign. Do you see Gideon? God's just constantly saying, Gideon, you're going to do it, man. I got your back. I'm calling you. I'm sending you. Like, I'm right here. And Gideon's like, yeah. But. And it goes in, and you can read it. But essentially, Gideon's like, you know what? I I need a sign. And this cooking show goes down. Baltimore's best baker, it happens, and like Gideon prepares food, angel comes down, touches it with the staff, food goes up in fire, Gideon's like, awesome, great meal, you must be sent by God. I don't understand it, but it's there, the great bake-off. The angel of the Lord said, peace be to you, you should not die. Then Gideon built an altar, this is what's important, Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it The Lord is peace. Can you all say peace? Peace. Peace. He called it the Lord is peace. Before he had this encounter, before he had this new view of himself, before he had this understanding of what self is, before he had this moment with God, would you describe Gideon as peaceful? No, he's in a wine press. He's surrounded by an army. He believes he's the lowest in his family, and his family is the lowest in the town. He's anything but peaceful. But when he gets a hold of God's word, and when he gets a hold of God's confidence, when he gets a hold of the fact that God has called him to be better, and he invests in the fact that my future has a future, then he has this moment of worship where he says, God, you're the Lord of peace. So that night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull that was seven years old, tear down the altar of Baal. You know what he's saying to him? He's saying to him, you've got to, now that you understand you have a different future, part of your past has been you're worshiping false idols. So I need you to tear down those false idols. If you're going to get away from your past, you've got to destroy some stuff that's in your past that's causing you current pain. 
And some of us in this room, we might not be worshiping at the God of Baal, but we might be worshiping at the God of self. We might be worshiping at the God of makeup, the God of Instagram, the God of my family's got to look better than yours and I've got to put on a front for you. The God of my success is wrapped up in whatever this, this coach or this teacher or this professor or this boss says that I am. We've got to burn down those idols. We've got to say, you know what? I cannot worship two gods. And right now, if I'm worshiping anything other than the Jehovah Jireh, my provider, if I'm worshiping any other God, then that's got to stop. And so you and I, in order to have our preferred future, have got to look and take an inventory of our past and say, you know what? That's not useful anymore. Delete. Some of you on social media, the very best thing you could do is to quit following some other people. Because you know all it is is worship. I worship. I wish I was like them. I wish my house looked like that. I wish I could design that way. I wish I could write like they do. I wish I could play music like him. And so we're worshiping other people and other dreams and other situations. And all it is is a figment of of their imagination. They're taking so much time to get everything just right. And you pretend that that is exactly how somebody else's life is being lived. And it's not. The amount of drugs and alcohol abuse and suicide among the most wealthy, most famous people in the world tells us this. And there might be some altars to Baal that we need to destroy. And we need to stop acting like, if I can just be like them. And so he tells them, he says, okay, good, I'm going to use you, but I need you to tear down this false God that your father has. I need you to cut down the Asherah pole that's beside it. And I need you to build an altar to the Lord, your God. Look what it says on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood. Check this out with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. Not only do I need you to take and get rid of that. I need you to worship God through that. I need you to worship God with that stuff. I need you to turn that joker around on its head. And I need you to become a different man, different woman of God and follow and pursue God. But it might be that you actually use that platform that you've been building up in the wrong way for so long that you can use that platform now and build it up in the right way. Some of us look at our biggest hangups and our biggest brokenness and we just say, oh, my ankle, this is who I am. And I'm, as your pastor saying, that's not who you are. That's who you were in that moment. That's who you were when you were walking away from God. That is not who you are. That's not your true self. And you say, well, but I, I did this. I did that. Guess what? Instead of hiding that story the rest of your life, instead of keeping that quiet and private, I cannot tell you how many times God will use the very thing that he used for your fall to be the very voice that you give into the world that displays his glory from now and forevermore. The very thing that you think you need to hide from the world is the very thing that God wants you to build your worship on into the future. And you think that you need to hide it, and that is another tool of the enemy. No, no, no. You need to come out and say, you know what? I used to be like this, and it caused my ruin. But now let me tell you the truth about that, because if there's anybody who understands the brokenness in that, it's me. And I am better prepared now than anyone I know to talk about that. But what do we do? We keep it secret. We keep it quiet. We pretend we have nothing that we have to expose. We pretend that we, as long as we just keep it, keep it to ourselves, nobody will ever know. And we'll go on, look at this, pretending. And we're right back to where we were 
before the fall, pretending. It's beautiful that we live in a world that espouses to be all about authenticity. And I love it. I just don't believe that most of the world's actually living it. I think we like the idea of authenticity all the way up until it comes to our front door. And most of us want the rest of the world to be authentic so we feel like we're not such a failure, but we don't want to be authentic so that somebody else could see that in us. And I'm appreciative when I go somewhere or even here, I'll get a note or an email once in a while and it'll be, Pastor, thank you for being authentic. And I appreciate it. But you know what would be better than Captivate Church having a pastor who was completely authentic? It would be if everybody in Captivate was completely authentic. It would be a refreshing house. It'd be a refreshing place to come in. It'd be a refreshing conversation in the hallway. Superficiality would just, whoop, and we'd really start to get to know each other without fear, without shame, without guilt, completely accepting of the human, not necessarily accepting of every single thing we've all done, but to look at a person's eyes and say, I accept you. I love you. Yeah, but I did the blah, blah, blah. No, thank you for sharing that. But you're a human made in the image of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. You matter to me. So he said, tear it, tear it all down, the thing you built your, your worship on before, and I want you to use that same platform to build worship to me. Gideon took 10 of his men's and servants. He did as the Lord told him, which is a good idea. Just FYI, in case you wanted to know if your pastor thought listening to God is a good idea. Yes. Check that box. But because he was too afraid, look at this, of his who? Of his family. And the men in the town to do it by day, he did it by night. And here's what I say to that, at least good for him. <laughs> this mighty man of valor still had some stuff to work out, but at least he made a step forward. How many of us are talking ourselves out of what God has talked us into? Your passion for worship is more important than your perception of worth. Your passion for worship is more important than your perception of your worth. Gideon was trying to talk about his worth, his worth, his worth, his worth. And God said, I don't really want to hear that right now. I know your worth. What I want to hear is, will you worship me? What I want to hear is, am I your God? That's all I want to hear. I don't need you to tell me how bad you are, Gideon. I don't need you to tell me how weak you are, Gideon. I don't need you to replay for me your bad history, Gideon. I don't need that story from you. What I really need from you is just do you love me? Will you worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Will you worship Jesus? That's what I want to know out of you. Many of us, we continue to tell God our story of worth. And he's saying, listen, I know what your worth is. You're not ever going to get me to believe that you're worth less than the way I designed you. So all I want to know is, are you willing to worship? Are you willing to have faith and confidence in me? Are you willing to put your hope in me? 
I told you earlier I could do this story on a ton of people. Different people have taken a stab at this. But uh, Greg Laurie recently wrote something I thought was completely relevant. Others have done similar. But check this out. Greg Laurie was thinking through our usefulness to God. And he said, you know what? Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were considered too young. David had an affair. Moses was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal at one point. Jonah ran from God. Peter, he denied Christ. The disciples, they fell asleep while they were praying. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Timothy had an ulcer. John the Baptist ate bugs. And Lazarus, well, he was dead. If God could use these people, do you think he could use you? I believe he can. I believe he will. I believe you just got to quit living in your past. I believe there's a future for you in your future. But you've got to decide which voice are you going to listen to. Your own that's been watching your worst parts of yourself over and over every day. Or the voice of the Lord that says, mighty man or woman of valor. I want you to receive this week God's best promises over your life. And as you do the work of spring cleaning, you understand it's not all about just staying put in all your junk. It's about cleaning it out, finding cleansing in Christ, and pursuing him with your worship. And your best days, my friends, are ahead. They're not in the past. Let's go out of this place this week and live like it. Let's live like God has a call on our lives. Let's live like he's got a, a redeemed destiny to take us to. Let's live like we're going to be the best men and women that have ever walked the face of the earth. Because not because of who we are, but because we take solace in who he is.